Hello, hello, and welcome, everyone. My name is Nyla, and thank you again for tuning in this podcast episode. You're listening to Greener Thoughts. It's the podcast about environmental news, commentary, environmental facts, and also other things that you'd like to know. This episode topic is all about the power behind Penn State lowering its greenhouse gas emissions in half. The podcast Greener Thoughts is produced every Sunday and Thursday. Please be sure to favorite, review, and also share Greener Thoughts. And another thing that you can do is, last but not least, be sure to contact Greener Thoughts by voice message. The info will always be posted in the podcast description, as well as every episode show notes, or you can always send an email to greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. There aren't too many um, different announcements for this podcast episode, except the fact that I um, had garlic and um, a really great soup, um, just the other podcast episode about the garlic and the benefits of it. So I forgot to uh, sort of add that to um, my comments and everything. So um, I really enjoy garlic. I love it. And so, you know, it's great stuff in that podcast episode. I implore you to go ahead and check it out and to absorb everything that you can know about, you know, the benefits of garlic. And um, I really had a fun time producing the episode and making it, and it was a joy. So be sure to go ahead and listen to it. Um, I want to start with our first segment here, which is, of course, in other news, which is a quick dose of what's happening in today's world. So the first headline is all about Washington State. So Washington forest fire is started after two men set a bee's nest ablaze, prosecutors say. And you can check out more about the story in Huffington Post, a.k.a. HuffPost. And you can check out the story in the U.S. News section. And so there was a huge forest fire that took place and nearly um, burned uh, 5.2 square miles of Olympic National Forest. Um, And there were two men, uh, Justin Wilkie and Sean Williams, and they tried to burn or steal first a big um, leaf maple tree. And they did so in August 2018, but they found that there was a bee's nest inside of it. And so they decided to try and burn the bee's nest with gasoline. It didn't work and it was a mess. And then they tried unsuccessfully to douse the flames with uh, water bottles. And so it was just chaotic. And that's what happened with the story. Um, The second headline is um, about sugary beverages. And so, you know, drinking more sugary beverages of any type may increase type 2 diabetes risks. You can find out more about the story on ENN.com, otherwise known as the Environmental News Network. So the research for uh, that news comes out of um, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And the study was published in the journal Diabetes Care and it's entitled Changes in Consumption of Sugary Beverages and Artificially Sweetened Beverages and Subsequent Risk of Type 2 Diabetes, 
result from three large prospective U.S. cohorts of women and men. You can check out the uh, edition um, of the journal in the 2019 uh, version. And also the research link, I will uh, go ahead and present it in the show notes for you all so you can check it out also. Then our last um, headline is about irrigation. So irrigation for farming could leave many of the world's streams and rivers dry. And that was found on NPR.org. And a a hydrologist, um, Inge de Graaf, um, at the University of Frankfurt in Germany, um, she wanted to, you know, see a whole um, glimpse of the picture when it comes to uh, groundwater depletion across the world and how it might change in the future. So she took data, her and her colleagues created this huge computer simulation of all the groundwater from around the world, the rivers all around the world. And, you know, I think that with that dose of of that information, you know, there's a huge, um, you know, presence of something like climate change is going to go to extreme level in the years to come and and she actually found data to support that um, things don't change so you can find out more of her study in the journal nature and it's called environmental flow limits to global uh, groundwater uh, pumping and it's amazing it's one of the few articles um, you know, I found just in research period where it um, cycles and you can read the whole thing um, and it's open access basically. So you can you know check it out and it's amazing. It's really in depth, you know, tons of pictures, graphs and really straight through and research is, you know, always best to go ahead and reread over and to just see what it is. And so I also will link um, that research link in the show notes as well. Now, the information and news for this podcast episode comes from NPR.org. And, you know, it's one of my favorite sites and sources for news. And so the reason for this uh, episode is, you know, it's about my alma mater. Now, I love Penn State. You know, we are, you know, and if you know the rest of it, then you are to Penn Stater. Now, I love um, talking about my uh, alma mater and the school of which I graduated from, and it came about in the news um, for some really good news. You know, the fact that they are dropping their greenhouse gases on their main campus, and I wanted to, you know, uh, talk with you all about what's happening on their main campus. Um, As we all know, it's great, you know, up at University Park. And I wanted to give it some shine and some love. I've always kind of wanted to go about uh, talking about Penn State and, you know, for all the good things it does. And this, especially because it happens to do with the environment and emissions, is very big now because of climate change. is all at the center of much of uh, U.S. news, um, politically and non-politically. So I figured to talk about this now. And so um, I entitled this piece, Penn State's Emissions Over Time. So over time of what's happened um, at Penn State main campus, and you can figure out, um, you know, what's going on, you know, past and present and maybe in the future um, so we can get started. So um, I want to start with about the campus's energy. 
So State College PA or Pennsylvania is where uh, the main hub of university of the Penn State uh, University's largest campus, University Park, is located. So it's a big part of Penn State and it's been growing in its size for a very long time. And you always hear about, you know, Penn State's academics, research university, big on sports football being its main uh, attraction to you know some and it always brings in tens of thousands of people especially those that live within the region and you know yet you know their emissions are consistently going down so that's very big positive news now to give you a stat about 14,000 people live actually on campus but um, roughly 65,000 people work uh, travel within or around and take classes also uh, on the campus. And then also there happen to be tens of thousands which also just show up for the football games and entertainment and such. So um, regarding how um, University Park functions, it has its own water system and also its own uh, wastewater plant that is right on campus amongst other things, you know, and it's so, and it's, so it's, it's huge when it comes to managing its energy and it has tons of major buildings, you know, 600 major buildings to be exact and 22 million square feet to manage, you know, and that's from uh, Rob Cooper, who's the Penn State um, Senior Director of Engineering and Energy. So he knows a lot about what's going on on Penn State's main campus, biggest campus, it's huge. And so, um, you know, fossil fuels are, you know, not really new to Penn State because it is huge as a, a university and that takes up a lot of space and, you know, runs up the, the campus. So it has to power itself. And one of the most striking features of Penn State is um, Beaver Stadium alone. And that alone is, you know, one of the biggest stadiums on the planet. And it's used in part mainly for Penn State uh, football games and um, entertainment. Now I want to move into uh, crunching the emission calculations. So we're going to get into how the emissions over time at Penn State have since dropped and why and get into that. So, you know, Penn State... Um, it decided to chart its emissions long ago, and it did so with a detailed graph that I'll um, go ahead and link the um, chart link in the show notes as well. And it's stretched out over the past 25 years, so a good quarter of the century. It's immense, and it's you know very detailed, but yet simplistic. And I will, of course, check out or send you the link, and it'll be in the show notes, so you can check it out um, there. And um, back about 20 years ago, that line um, that has since you know descended, it's it went down you know 20 years back, and it's gradually um, you know as the university has been growing with more and more people in buildings, it has since uh, gone down the the number of emissions, and so you know it's not like the rest of America which you know, happens to have its population grow and grow and use more, um, you know, fossil fuels. So it's a, a striking parallel there or a striking comparison. But, um, you know, in the exact year, about 20, 20, no, 2004, um, the line, it directly went down and, you know, it's starting to 
um, you know, create like a, an effect, like a boulder running down a mountainside. And it's continued to go down and down, um, even though the population of the university has been growing and has been growing uh, significantly over the years. I want to get into um, how did the emissions drop um, and, and how it even got rolling. So I want to uh, go into that lane. So, you know, it all started from this really amazing group of students, you know, faculty members, um, administrators, and, you know, all those who wanted to make the world greener and their campus greener uh, all the same. This was back in the mid-1990s uh, where it all started, where uh, Penn State's greenhouse emissions were climbing up, unfortunately, and a uh, biology professor, uh, Christopher Uhl, he helped organize a really small environmental movement on the campus and it focused on the university's own uh, operations. Now the students, they did something really amazing. They graded each building uh, for its emissions specifically and gave out, you know, mostly poor grades. And, you know, that data spoke out. And Penn State is, like I said before, an academic institution. It's highly regarded for its research. So, you know, the, the people took notice around them, around the, around the buildings uh, where the, the people worked, the staff worked. So it, it, it took a lot of momentum and it got people looking out uh, and seeing what their building was capable of as far as their emissions and how to change that. And so the people came out in droves to support and the press, you know, newspapers and um, media stations that came out and were present to witness all of this. Um, and as the different reports of emissions were generated for each building and it came out and, you know, the pressure was put on the universities to act and to really change things. And that's, I think, really what sparked um, the momentum that you see now where things have really taken off and shaped uh, Penn State. Um, and I think one of the things also, um, besides the social, the social change aspect of the students and staff and administrators was this one man um, named Ford Stryker. He was a retired Navy officer and he sort of led the charge of Penn State's office of the physical plant and in a somewhat bureaucratic move he can actually he actually convinced the university president um, to put environmental stewardship as the top priority going forward so this was immense and he also did many things like he um, striker he also got Penn State's budget and finance offices to set up a revolving fund to actually pay for upgrades that um, would cut uh, greenhouse emissions in the future but these were, of course, loans that had to be paid back with interest, which is, you know, a complicated, you know, matter. But the, the point is that things were done and they were getting done swiftly and there was a plan in place and things were going forward. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, the fact is that it actually reversed those those moves, those actions reversed the rising line on the graph of the greenhouse emissions and, you know, all those projects that were funded, they actually cut, they cut the uh, university's demand for energy, which is amazing. And, you know, most of those things paid off for themselves within a decade or so, thus lowering their um, energy bills over time. And, um, you know, there were other important actions, too, that um, Penn State followed up with. 
um, which included um, switching over the fuel in its central heating plant from coal to natural gas, um, you know, which releases less carbon dioxide when burned. It did many things. Um, the engineers set up um, energy uh, saving motors and windows and other such equipment, um, you know, and that was pretty, you know, amazing as well. And, you know, other amazing feats. So there's just a lot that's happened um, that, that positively affected uh, Penn State's main campus. Now, I want to move to um, the last bit, which is um, what's the projection next for uh, Penn State's energy? Well, in 2019, with the cost of uh, solar power um, falling really sharply, um, Penn State actually signed a recent deal to buy electricity from a new uh, 500-acre solar farm in Pennsylvania's Franklin County, which is amazing. And also, uh, Penn State overall has cut its uh, greenhouse emissions um, by a third um, compared with a with the peak in uh, 2004. And in a few years, um, especially with the uh, solar power rolling in, uh, they're slated to, of course, cut their um, emissions, greenhouse emissions, by almost 50% or half. Um, but to compare that, um, the total carbon dioxide emissions from burning fossil fuels in, in the United States peaked in 2007 and have since fallen only by 12%. Um, so there's also another positive a bit to this, um, but it could be uncertain, and it's that um, there needs to be or should be the target um, that they're trying to hit overall, which is 80% greenhouse gas um, emissions reduction, 80% um, reduction by 2050, which is amazing. Big feat could be definitely um, made but yet there aren't too many concrete plans thus far about that, um, you know, but neither does, you know, the United States. It doesn't have that large a target um, to set itself by, but, you know, Penn State is really doing a lot now to, to keep itself on the right path, and it's done wonderfully thus far, and so, you know, this is amazing, and if it keeps at it, it will definitely see its numbers drop down. And maybe it will hit the 80% reduction target by 2050. So who knows? But um, I'm really glad to you know have shared this news, and it's a positive one for sure. Um, so there are many, I think, tangible actions that can be taken out of the situation with my alma mater. Amazing, amazing news to have come out of Penn State. And, you know, I think these these actions are tangible, mainly because whether it's from a big university such as Penn State or maybe a small one, community college one, or another one, I think that it all depends on the people. It depends on the infrastructure and the money also, but the will to do so. Now, this is 20 plus years in the making, but it all started in the uh, 1990s where you had a collective group a small group and one man leading the charge to prove that there's data behind what's happening in these greenhouse gas emissions 
and that someone needs to pay attention. That's the, that was some of the main things that I gathered um, from what happened. So there's, you know, community activism, social change, and there's the will of the people to change the environment. This wouldn't have happened unless someone cared enough to actually show the administrators, show the um, staff of the buildings what's happening and which buildings are producing the most um, or less and being graded on their um, greenhouse gas emissions. So there's a lot to say about this. And, you know, if your campus is really big or you are really small, you can gather enough and garner enough attention to the problems if you so choose. You know, I would love to see um, this model replicated across the country for sure. I'd love to see what would happen in even uh, big Ivy League um, schools like uh, Yale, like Harvard, also more state schools like the University of Florida, um, and also other schools and even in different regions of the United States. I want to see how things are done in the Northwest, the South you know, just everywhere. And so I think that's a real takeaway also from all this um, research and data, especially with the huge chart um, of information that was seen um, from the news, you know, of this piece um, on NPR. So it's amazing that, um, you know, that data was there and it's been tracked all this time. And it's really admirable that they did that and they showed um, what research does. I, le I love research. I love data. And, um, you know, it proves a point. It proves that if you, you know, put the numbers out there and put a goal and a target, it can be reached. But also Penn State also put the money in upgrading their equipment and changing things around to um, fit the times when it comes to energy uh, standards and better um, energy, you know, moving forward. You know, with the solar um, you know, powered facilities and things like that can definitely, I, th I think, reach its target um, by 2050. Now, um, there are other energy possibilities that um, some of the staff were talking about, like even more um, solar power, um, hydrogen powered fuel cells, having or, or maybe retrofitting and having super efficient buildings and even reconstructing and having a massive overhaul of their heating systems. Now, I think that those are very advantageous, but they could definitely happen. Um, I know firsthand that hydrogen-powered uh, fuel cells are pretty expensive, even for cars. That just jacks up the price, you know, thousands of dollars, probably closer to 80000 or or so dollars. And that's just for one brand of car if you're happening to, if you're happening or if you happen to uh, power your car that way by hydrogen fuel cells, it's really expensive. So, you know, I want to see what the future holds for Penn State and if those things are, you know, what they're going for in the future. Um, I think the other main takeaway or key takeaway um, in all of this is that this model, again, is feasible, but also in the, in the news um, piece, it was talking about that you know, for businesses and homes, it's probably not because, you know, unless you're trying to do a major overhaul and, you know, totally gut your your home or retrofit your business, or if it's, you know, um, really big and on a mass scale, then maybe you'd end up costing more um, of the overhaul than what your business can afford or what your home um, is worth. So, um, really staying focused and figuring out what, what best fits 
you know, is key. So whether it comes to building materials, maintenance, water, utilities, those things cost whether you're a business or home. So if your home is only worth X amount, but yet these, um, you know, fixtures and different additions and energy savings will end up costing you in the long run versus not, then you should weigh your options. Though, um, you know, mega corporations like Amazon, Uber, Walmart, etc., they have the time, space, money, and the resources in general to just maybe get something like this done, an, a major overhaul. So they could definitely see big results um, because they are, again, mega and huge corporations. You know, maybe Uber could retrofit its cars and get uh, energy um, you know, tax breaks or incentives or just change their whole fleet or at least a portion of their fleet maybe. And, um, you know, Amazon and Walmart could uh, figure out different places to retrofit the, their buildings and have, you know, maybe some solar powered energy going there and other types of um, energy benefits um, going forward. Um, so overall, I have uh, really quickly just a few different tips in my next uh, segment, the Mother Earth Minute segment, so be sure to check it out very soon. Do you love Greener Thoughts? Supporting Greener Thoughts ensures more giveaways are available with even more exciting prizes, future Greener Thoughts merchandise, and surprises found only on Greener Thoughts. I greatly appreciate and love all of the listeners who have tuned in and who support Greener Thoughts by doing good for the planet. One of the many ways I would love your support is by clicking the second lower link in the description section of this episode. It's the direct support link for Greener Thoughts. So the Mother Earth Minutes is where I review in the next few minutes actions that you can take to, of course, combat the issue in the episode and as always, save Mother Earth. So the message for this Mother Earth Minutes is to be sure that you can eliminate or at least lower um, to a point your emissions, whether you be a home um, or someone in school, your campus, etc., So the first and last tip um, I have for this uh, podcast episode is all about getting your school involved. So, you know, whether you, you know, think you can do for your school or can't do for your school, you can definitely figure out, you know, what your school can do for you and vice versa, what you can do for your school. So, you know, in the research, there are many hopeful uh, possibilities. So um, there are many other uh, universities that are doing big things as well, maybe not on the scale of Penn State, but um, really are promising. So there are other schools um, that have promised to eliminate greenhouse gas emissions entirely by 2050. Um, one of them in particular is American University in Washington, D.C. It announced in 2018 that it already um, is carbon neutral and is you know on that path. So, you know, there is hope. Um, So maybe connect with your um, campus energy coordinator or maybe there's an emissions specialist or someone with another related job title that you can really, you know, rally around. Um, You know, and for those who really put their mind to it, they can, of course, accomplish the seemingly impossible. 
So I encourage you to unite and enact change and maybe create a petition. Um, You can do something like, you know, something on change.org, for example, and you can provide evidence and data in real time and present that to your administrators, to those who are in the buildings and, you know, operate through them. And you can convince your fourth, uh, fourth thing is you can convince your campus to change its ways. You know, maybe you can stage a boycott or transfer entirely if your campus is not doing what it's supposed to do and you don't see that it's fit enough. Um, You could go go ahead and publish the data um, or even get the press involved. It all depends. But these are some steps we've learned from uh, what Penn State has done. And, you know, you could do the same. And all, you know, depends on you. If you want to see the change, you kind of have to do what it takes in order to, you know, see it through. And I think those are amazing steps and I'd love to see what your campus ends up doing. More than 1.8 million people object to our Trump proposal to strip gray wolves of endangered species protections. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club Sierra Magazine in the September-October 2019 issue. Green Adult wants to hear your story. You can choose to self-nominate or nominate an individual who exhibits environmental stewardship and supports the environment. Do you work hard in the environmental field, in either an organization or company? Either way, let Green Thoughts know. If you want to tell your story and be in for a unique surprise, please be sure to send your 200-word essay to the email address greenthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. So we've come to the Eco Company Spotlight, which is an amazing time in which I talk about a really great product um, or service and one that's, you know, very much environmentally friendly. Um, and, you know, I love this time in the show um, because sometimes I can, you know, hear your messages or you can definitely email me about, you know, your product or service and I love it. And so I've been doing it for a while now. Um, since February of 2019, and I really have an amazing uh, company and their product to show um, you um, in detail about and talk to you about, and it's the amazing Apple and Eve juice. Now, for over 40 years, Apple and Eve juice has produced organic apple juice before organic was even a thing. And they have all types of products and a variety of products to include so many amazing flavors like fruit punch, strawberry watermelon, very berry, naturally cranberry, strawberry kiwi, and more. You'll love the taste of apple and Eve juice as I have, and you'll want to share the love of juice with your loved ones. Apple and Eve juice has many juice flavors like apple, 
berry, cranberry, fruit punch, grape, kiwi, orange, pomegranate, uh, raspberry, which I didn't know was specifically, you know, a juice, um, strawberry, and also tangerine. And you can buy their products online on their site, especially. You can go to www.appleandeve.com forward slash where dash to dash buy forward slash. And uh, for more of their product family, um, you can check out www.appleandeve.com forward slash r dash juices forward slash. Now, my experience of Apple and Eve juice is a very good one, mainly because I bought their um, product very much recently in September 2019. So I had a really great experience because their pack was huge. It was about a 40 count um, juice uh, box set. And I had their uh, natural uh, cranberry juice boxes and I had about uh, $20 worth. So it was $20 about or close to the uh, purchase amount. And I love their um, sweet and savory, you know, nature to it. It's almost addictive, but in a good way because it's good for my body. Um, It's organic, which is amazing. Can't get better than that. It's delicious because, you know, you can eat it with or drink it with just about anything, you know, a snack, um, you know, just to tie you over, you know, maybe some water, but definitely these juices will set you right. Um, they're just about perfect. They are perfect, in my opinion. And uh, they're very much healthy. You know, there's no bad vibes coming off of this juice. It's amazing, this stuff. And, you know, the value is amazing as well. And it's kind of nostalgic, you know, with the juice boxes in general. Um, not every brand of juice has juice boxes. So to have that feel is really amazing and really great for the price. And, and I got it from uh, Amazon. I bought it. Um, so it was really, you know, great, the just overall presentation, um, and just down home feel. So Apple and Eve juice products can be found online, again, many different places, but mainly on their site, www.appleandeve.com forward slash where dash to dash buy forward slash also amazon.com ebay.com among other stores online and in stores across the country where available. Apple and Eve is on the following social media platforms. Facebook at Apple and Eve. Instagram at Apple and Eve Juice. LinkedIn at Apple and Eve LLC. They're on Pinterest at Apple and Eve Juice. Twitter at Apple and Eve. And also YouTube at Apple and Eve. Last thing for you is if you would like to contact Apple and Eve, you can go to their site, www.appleandeve.com forward slash contact forward slash, or you, you could click contact us at the bottom of their webpage to fill out their message form. So thank you all in all for listening in. This was a really great episode. I enjoyed talking about my Uh, alma mater again we are and you know I had fun talking about all that Penn State has done you know University Park really pulling through with its energy policies um and so they are shining a light and you know maybe this will kick into gear with other campuses like I you know talked about and this you know 
podcast episode really goes out to any other fellow Penn Staters. And um, I hope that I did you all proud. It was really fun to do. And I'm really glad that I found uh, this news about Penn State. It was amazing to get to talk about this. So um, I hope that you all stay tuned for my next podcast episode coming up uh, in a bit soon. But until then, again, thank you for listening and you all take care. Bye. Thank you.